the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 94. This episode of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, the pre- premier ag tire and wheel provider of North America. Get a grip. Today, my guest is Jason Mock. You might know him from Twitter. Um, he has a lot of videos that he puts out, and he's very progressive in his thinking. And I was listening to Ag Uncensored and caught the last part of him talking about where he saw the future of, of ag going, and uh, that's one of my favorite things to talk about as far as where equipment goes, so... I reached out to Jason, asked him if he'd be on the podcast. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that, man. So, talk to me a little bit about uh, Jason Mock and how you got to this point in your life. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Just uh, kind of grew up all around the farm on both sides of the family, and uh, um. Yeah, it's kind of kind of where I am today. He's not really where I wanted to be. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I was going through high school at a time where uh, corn was sub two dollars. I think beans were four dollars something. And mom said get a real job, so shipped me off to college and uh, was in sales for a few years. Started a landscape company, and then uh, kind of bad deal. My father got pancreatic cancer uh, when I was twenty nine, and had to go back to the farm and fill his shoes. And I've been, uh, at that full time for about seven years now. And, uh, kind of a lot of stuff. And when I went back to the farm, really didn't make much sense to me. It's kind of boring and kind of started exploring some different options. And then I started sharing it with people and kind of here I am. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's right. And that's, that's the one thing about Twitter that I like. I'm not a, I'm not a farm kid. I didn't grow up on a farm, you know, I just, fell into this uh this industry working in working in the ag equipment side of the business and and uh you know i use internet a lot to, to learn things and, and that i wouldn't necessarily know else how to find and that's what i like about twitter there's so much stuff on there that you can learn um if you're not familiar with it and, and watching your videos that you put up there you post a lot of them and, and the stuff you put up there i find pretty fascinating and and uh, like I said, I think you're you're probably one of the more progressive guys out there, and you're you're willing just to try stuff, and and just to see if it works. So when you put those videos out there, um, is it, I mean, how much of that do you actually use just to kind of go back in and say, you know what, this is what I did last time, this is how it worked, and and do you kind of use it as a video library to kind of go back in and, and retrace your steps and see how things worked and what didn't work? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even the failures, you kind of catch one or two things that kind of will go to something kind of unrelated. But honestly, I'm kind of, I'm such a dork when it comes to ag. I can tell you what hybrids I planted in 2013, what day I started. I'm just so engaged in ag that I don't really need it to be my journal, but I kind of, kind of do that. I like sharing it more of the network deal on anything you know it started with a few people and now it's to where a lot of the people are reaching out and then it kind of goes different directions and they share their thoughts and you just you just get so much more of a vast uh knowledge base when 
when a lot of people kind of argue with you and it's all good. Yep. No, that's, that's the one thing about, about it. I mean, there's just so much, I read those threads and I go through them all and it, it's, uh, it's amazing what you pick up from that, you know, and, and, and you get, how I get my, uh-huh. my understanding from that. So that's good stuff. So, so let's talk about one, one of the biggest things that I see happen right now. I feel like we're in a, a very, uh, uh, like a paradigm shift, if you will. Um, right now in this industry, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of cliche to say, you know, whoever keeps up with technology the most and adopts that the most is going to obviously win, but it's a different time, you know, we're at like, like a, we're at that, I think a dividing line of old versus new. And, and when we look back, we'll just say that, that this time frame was, was a, was a time when guys made a decision to go one way or the other and how much it changed their life. And, yeah. and I take a look at farm equipment now and, it doesn't matter what color it is. It's been able to drive itself for 10 years, right? It's just no one's ever flipped the mm-hmm. switch completely to say, hey, you know what, go out and drive my truck. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and, and monitor this computer from on my computer from my desk instead of sitting in the cab monitoring monitors, you know. So it's, uh, it's that, that how that whole kind of dynamic has come play. So what's your opinion of that, and, and kind of where do you see the next evolution of farm equipment heading? Well, I think I think it's going to go so curveball that you won't even recognize it in twenty or thirty years. You know, I I don't know how much of the family farm is going to be preserved. I mean, hopefully, it's like it always was. But I just see things kind of going away, kind of from the one trick pony deal, where they just kind of do one task. And you know, I don't know if it's going to be like more like the transformers, like you you had growing up that was went from a rhinoceros to a, a machine gun <laughs> or, you know, I think, right. I think things are going to be able to do multiple things and be more adjustable and you'll get kind of more bang for your buck. But, you know, it might be a deal where, uh, they, you know, they can do different tasks. Um, you know, I'm kind of working with a guy right now on all these different ideas and we don't really, you know, completely throw away the last thought, but um, I think there's going to be a move away from, you know, from diesel engines eventually to where we figure out how to uh, tie green energy into the field, aside from just burning fuel. And I think the problem is, as we go from tier four, tier five, tier six, to where, you know, the engine has to smell like a, a rose fart, (laughs) Um, you get, you just price yourself out. Right. (laughs) And I think that's why we'll go small. I mean, you go over a million dollars, you can put a lot of small things out there and replace that. Mm -hmm. So, and then you got the agronomic side is, you know, as we figure, I don't know if it'd be intercropping, but I think it'd be kind of vertical sun capture and there would be some kind of issues. And then you got the compaction and all that kind of stuff. So who really knows, but I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, my, that's a good point. You make versatility of equipment. You know, I I wrote a I wrote a blog not too long ago about um, four wheel drive tractors, and you know, pre two thousand twelve, it was hard to find a machine that had three point PTO on it. Right? Um, they were uh-huh. there, they existed. You know, you could find them, but they weren't just like everywhere. Well, two thousand twelve came, and the higher horsepower tractors, whether it was a deer case or whomever it was that became an option that you could add on to some really big high horsepower tractors. And that opened up the door to 
you know, guys taking that big 500 horsepower tractor and or 400 horsepower tractor and they were using now it's more versatile on the farm they can use it as a grain cart tractor they could they could pack silage with it they can plant with it if they want to i mean they, they can do whatever they want with it now right and my point in my vlog yeah. was that the that the bareback four-wheel drive tractor is almost become obsolete and it's just no one really buys tractor anymore for just the sheer fact of having a giant pulling tractor they need to have something else to do with it because of the expense that you that you're buying it for you know and yeah i just think that's to your point you know equipment's getting to the point now where it's so big and if it gets any bigger than what it is um you're gonna have to build a, a new a new shop door so you can get your combine in the shop or you're gonna have to uh haul your four-wheel drive tractor in, in you know different pieces so that, it, that you can get it up and down the road legally um Mm-hmm. that the idea of the autonomous tractor coming around and whether it's cabless or not, I mean, that's where I think a lot of people get hung up on the fact of why would I want a tractor that doesn't have a cab? Um, well, if you don't need to drive it, why do you need to have a cab? Um, but <laughs> one way or the other, why it doesn't really matter. But why, if you can have, uh, you know, these like 32 row planters, 48 row planters and 24 row planters and stuff like that, 36 row planters, the only reason you have a planter that big is because you have a lot of acres to cover with a few people to do it. And if you have uh, 10 tractors doing the work, you know, 10, 10 row or 10, 12 row tractors or, or 10, 12 row planters out in the field working or something like that, it makes a lot more sense because that tractor never gets tired. You know, it just needs fuel or if it breaks down, it needs to be fixed. Or like you said, the diesel engine thing, I'm right there with you. I think the diesel engine is going to slowly evaporate away and it's going to move more towards you know an electric engine of some sort that you can hook solar power into and it's going to keep the engine running you know keep the batteries full so it can just run 24 7 365 so yeah you know the comment you made basically you just keep on trying to mark i call it bs you know whether it's a labor cost or or just combined thing i i think a good example is tribine you know it hasn't really taken off but um, you know, I look at a, uh, a 30 foot corn head, you know, a lot of people have 12 rows on a 16 row, but if I can't make it to the back of the field, why do I want a bigger corn head and have to circle a yig and all that? So there comes all this things where you're like, well, what's the point in going bigger? Cause I got to do this now. And that kind of came along and, you know, you can kick the grain cart guy out. You still got to, you know, dump, you might add a grain cart to that, but that's just a thing that's just kind of combining two things at once yeah. right there. So Yeah, that yeah. Tri- the tri-bind deal, that's a great example of that. I mean, you're taking a combine and a grain cart, putting it together, and, and, and then you're taking one whole piece of equipment out of the, out of the equation, and that being the tractor. Um, and you can basically, you know, do all the stuff that you can do with that, you know, and, and be a little more efficient um, than, than where it's at. But it all comes down to cost, obviously, and what does that make sense to do all that. Um, yeah. Comparatively, I don't know what that machine costs, but I'm, I'm I'm looking at it right here on the internet now, and I've seen them before, and it's got to be a, a fairly pricey machine um, to go out there and make that work. Yeah, it's, it's but you're I mean you're you're utilizing one engine so right. too. You exactly, know? you got a yep. five hundred thousand horsepower yep. four wheel drive pulling the green cart. You know, yeah. So and and back to your point about versatility. So I've, I'm sure you've seen the 
the C dot run stuff out there on, on Twitter and, and on all the stuff that they, yeah. that they do. Yeah. That, that machine right there to me is of all the stuff that I've seen so far makes the most sense to me. What do you think about that kind of technology? Oh, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I like, like everything about it. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the going through the night, the versatility of that, I mean, there's a lot of things to like. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of share kind of where, what we're kind of working on. And it's, it's, it's similar to that, but different. I, I believe they're using diesel power on that. Yep. Yeah, that kind of how they're. I think it's a Cummings diesel engine, if I remember right. I gotcha. Yeah. I I think I think if when you look at these electric wheel motors, you can get a lot of horsepower to them, and the limiting factor is how long does the battery life. And I heard that uh, Tesla is developing a semi that can drive 500 miles you know, pulling 90 or 100,000 pounds down the highway. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I really see these where we empower farmers to where we, we they don't work with the power company. They they make their own green power and they use it on their own farm. And I think you look at a company like Cadman with this continuous manure applicator or water applicator, I think you could take something like that and actually plug these tractors in all the time and you could give them as much power as you want and then you could start moving water to them and seed and herbicide or whatever and you could have these central stations that bring it out because even with that c dot run you got to have a guy manning it and filling it all the time right yep. uh, that's kind of what i'm what i'm kind of thinking i don't know <laughs> yeah man go dive into it man let me hear about it this sounds interesting yeah it, I, you know they've got kind of a uh the interesting thing they got a, a poly i don't know if you've ever seen it it's kind of a stiff poly too that that goes on the in row and it just like imagine a big uh 35 foot tape measure okay it takes the the draft out of it, it takes the torque it kind of helps and it'll push water manure or whatever to you but you could take that same six inch pipe and actually put different channels in that to maybe put four channels in there. One is an electric cord, uh, one's water, maybe 28. And, uh, you know, you can use some of these new technologies. Everything's kind of got a living factor or a shelf life or a battery life or, you know, the logistics. It's just a game of logistics. You look at something like that Aquatil. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but when you start using a lot of residue, uh, you can basically use a pressure washer and replace steel as a coulter, and you get a lot better of a cut. When you uh, get some technology to seed using water, well, why you got to use water? You might as well use 28 or a percentage of 28 in there. And uh, you know, you can do a lot of things kind of hands-free. That makes much sense. I think you can take the steel. I think you can take the diesel out of it. You start using some canopy and some intercropping, and uh, – uh, your carbon footprint really goes down to nothing, and, and you can replace all these components and things that can go wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know the whole answer, but no, that's 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 kind of where I'm starting. That's fascinating stuff, man. So you take you start talking about truly being at sustainability at that point. You know what I mean? Like you're taking just the stuff from the farm and, and making it into fuel, and next thing you know, you've got yourself a piece of equipment out there that's doing everything you want it to do but it's uh 
it, it completes the the carbon circle. You know what I mean? So it's it, it, yeah. You know, you yeah. look at our operation. We've got. I can hear the pigs squealing right now. We've got twelve thousand of them. Our electric bill goes up to seven thousand dollars a month. So if I did put solar panels on the top, you know, I can cut my electric bill, and then I'm not the mercy of whatever the electric company is going to cut me a check for. Right. It's not fair. It's not fair market value. So why not just get enough electricity to source your own? And kind of the the other facet of that. When I say this one trick pony, not just things on the farm, see, everything kind of has value. You know, if you sell Christmas trees, you know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving is probably cat's ass. If you're at a bar, probably one in the morning. If you're selling flowers, probably Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. Electricity has a high value from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. And it still is cranking, but it doesn't have much value from midnight to 6 in the morning. Everybody's sleeping that all these plants are doing it, so the value goes down. Well, imagine you have 50 tractors, all have about 30 horsepower, and they're tied to your green energy, tied to the grid, and you basically store that electricity that's constantly pouring into those tractors, then you broker it and you sell it at a higher value back into the grid. And then you could have an asset that 30 days out of 365 is in your fields, working 24-7, the other 3.30, they're on your farm being these little electricity brokers, if you will. That, that is, I've, I've never thought of it that way. <clears throat> that's, that's, a, that's a damn good idea. So you're utilizing a piece of equipment that you're paying for 365 days a year that's generating revenue 365 days a year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what we're going to be looking at, you know, and I think if you go to a farmer, you know, we, you know, we, they say we die rich and we live poor. We have capital. Most of us have equity. We're just kind of getting taken advantage of. And if you can kind of get a system to where you can kind of give some few folks the middle finger or <laughs> work your assets a little bit better and it works better in a system, I think they're going to, I think it's going to be an easier sell. And I was telling uh, the guy I was working with today, I said, you're not going to sell my grandpa anything. I mean, he's old old school hard knocks. So that $7,000 electric bill that he pays every month pisses them off more than anything in the world. So, you know, if you can uh, get somewhere and, and solve that problem, you know, I think, I think you're going to go somewhere. I think there's a lot of things that we feel like we work hard at, but the, the end result is kind of out of our control. And I think, just ways of empowering us is kind of be kind of where we go. I don't know. Well, well, that's going to be the difference between, you know, how long you make it in this business too. I mean, being creative and coming up with, with uh, ideas like that to where everyone's farming the same number of acres. Um, you're not really making any more ground in the U S unless you live in Hawaii. Right. <clears throat> but you yeah, know, you know, you're, you're still farming the same number of acres. And you still, but you have to produce more on that those those acres to be profitable than you did twenty years ago. And yeah, we're just constantly just shooting ourselves in the feet. I mean, it's awesome sharing ideas how to produce more, but mm-hmm. we're just making the pile bigger. Right, and that, that's a lot of. But yeah, the other thing too is is it's how you manage uh how you manage that farm. You know, I mean, how are you? What are you doing to be? Uh, 
cost prohibitive about stuff? What are you doing to to generate revenue without having to completely retrofit everything you do to go to do to go do something like that? You know, and it's it's things mm-hmm. like, like what you're talking about here that that are going to take you to that next level. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that. I mean, there's going to be some people in really rural areas that doesn't have maybe a grid and you get a little bit of pull down. But, you know, in my area, I'm close to Muncie and 50 miles from Indy. So I've kind of got some opportunities to where, you know, a guy, I don't know how deep you are in the Nebraska, but you probably get far enough west. Pretty tough to maybe plow some off to make some money or something like that. But, you know, the wind always blows or the sun's always out. And, you know, I think if you're going to grow your kind of you economy, uh, that's kind of the only way you can really have a net positive is you can kind of try to find some kind of waste and uh, put some use to it. And it'd be kind of more of a, you know, uh, a way that everybody could kind of participate. Yeah. So, like, I live out here in western Nebraska. I live in Scottsbluff, and there's over 30 miles from Wyoming, I think. 40 miles from Wyoming, something like that. Okay. And yeah. the wind does blow. And I'm from I'm from South Central Kansas, and I'll argue that the wind blows more often uh, consistently in Kansas than it does out here. But um, it blows harder here but for a shorter amount of time. So they've got the windmills up, and they've got that kind of stuff. But I do say we probably have, I don't know what I'm guessing here, 300-plus days a year of, of uh, sunlight. So there is a uh-huh. the other thing, too, about that is, you know, so you start taking a look at what's happening in California and you got these these giant uh, solar panel farms. Right. And that'd, uh-huh. be, that'd be a great place to put them out here um, to put those big solar panels up. But then you start take, yeah, talking about Mark. taking ag- ground out of production and what does that do to the overall economy? What's that? You start taking you start taking farm ground out of production when you do that to put those solar panel farms in. Um, and what does that do to the overall yeah. ag economy in my area? So um, it's uh, all ag all the time out here. Probably be a know. good thing. It probably would be. You know what I mean? There's there's probably going to be some, yeah, some I mean, net positives that will come from that. I mean, uh, like I was talking with Jerry McDaniel, you know, you only pump so much water or get it. So yep. he's had to do some pretty creative things on kind of a compromise on some to be able to have enough to maybe be a little more aggressive on some. So yep. everything's kind of fine. You, your way, do you, do a lot of people irrigate? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of flood it off the mountains. Um, yeah. So there's, there's ditch water that comes out of the mountains. Um, and, and, but there's a lot of wells that are drilled too, you know, and, um, uh-huh. you know, flood irrigation still a lot of goes on here. You know, a lot of flood irrigation happens. Um, more and more guys are getting into variable rate watering uh, based on their soil composition. Uh-huh. And so that's, that there's some, there's some in rounds there, but you know, it's, it's still a lot of it is still just very much, you know, center pivot irrigation and flood irrigation and, and uh, pivot, uh, or I'm sorry, ditch, ditch water irrigation. And, and um, we still have some parts though, that the aquifer doesn't get to where that's at. So it's, it's just straight up dry, dry land farming. And we live in an area where you get probably 12 to 15 inches of rain a year. And if you dry land farm corn, you know, you just hope that you get it. And we're fortunate this year has been one of those years where we've gotten 
plenty of plenty of rain to make stuff happen. And yeah, we had a lot of snow this winter, but it's not like that every year, man. You know, some years, some years you're lucky to get half of what you're supposed to get. So it's just it just so much depends on on where you're at and the situation that you're in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, that's what makes it tough because you know it's really hard to to know in the spring when you're spending all your money. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. That uh, insurance is, is a big deal out here. You know, hell insurance especially. I mean, we get some pretty good hell storms yeah. through here. And, and, uh, that's Caught the white combine. The old white combines visited our neck of the woods quite a bit this year. So it's uh, some of the corn got, yeah. got thrashed pretty good. But there's a uh, – I just think, you know, you look out there, and I've got a bet with a, with a guy that's on my podcast here, Aaron Fennell, that in five years from now we're, gonna, we're going to um, – have a, our first fully autonomous vehicle sitting out there on our lot for sale, whether it's cabless or uh-huh. not, you know, but, and I think I'm going to win because I just think I just start looking, I look at technology now and where it was five years ago, as far as adoption goes and where it's at now. Um, it's, it's, it's night and day different. You know what I mean? There's, there's not a lot of difference. You can't sit back and say, Oh, five years ago is pretty much the same. Cause it, it's not. And I just think the same things is going to keep oh, happening yeah. and, and just exponentially growing. So, you know, when you look at that, that whole scenario, when do you think full adoption, like when do you think the adoption is going to be of autonomous vehicles? Like when do you think guys will say, you know what, I don't need to sit in the cab to monitor the monitors I can set over here in my, uh, in my, at my desk in my house and monitor five or six different machines or hire a kid to do that. And I can go do something different. Like when do you think, when do you think that's going to happen? I mean, I think it'll be next year. As you, <laughs> I don't know exactly where it's at, but yeah. I think the biggest problem is going to be just liability. So as right. you go out, you know, Western Canada or something like that, where, you know, 100 people live in a huge county with a ton of farm ground, that's going to happen there first. Yeah, where it's pretty populated and you got a lot of liability, I don't know, because I, I would think there'd be a big insurance come with it. And if there is an accident, it'll you know, somebody could lose their whole damn farm. Right. So, yeah, I think it'll just migrate from west to east. Yeah. Might be 10 or 15 years before it gets here, but it's going to come. Right. Uh, you know, people are seeing the value in timing. Yeah. Um, you know, 20 years ago, 120, 130 bushel corn was just the way it was, and you just kind of had a checklist, and you get it done, and now if you break even 205, you know, you got to, catch everything at the right time or it's just not going to happen you just can't drag everything out so you know that that 24 7 thing is going to be a big deal yeah um you get a lot of less rainfall and we we get about 35 to 40 inches and uh we're we're just lucky to catch a window before uh, mother's day around here it's it's usually where you're just not sleeping Slamming the mountain dews and <laughs> right. trying to get all your crop in in two or three days before the next rain uh, most years here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why I think, you know, you take a look at planter technology and how far it's come over the last three to five years, whether it's the precision stuff or the John Deere exact emerge stuff or, or, or whatever it is. Um, in 2015, when they introduced that, the John Deere system, I really thought it was going to take off and run and go like wildfire um, just because of the fact of it was so wet 
those years, you know. 14 was wet, 15 mm-hmm. was wet, 16 was wet. And it was just like wet, wet, wet. And they didn't know there's one day the next of when you're going to get back in the field and, and this, that, and the other stuff and, and how much the speed of the planter was what was selling it, you know. And now what's selling that planter is whether it's Precision or, or, or John Deere, whoever it is, um, it's not so much the speed is like the third or fourth thing now that, that guys are looking at. It's the um, uniform emergence and it's the, um, you know, the, the individual uh, row um, technology that's out there as far as, um, you know, the down pressure goes. And, and you can, each individual row can do its own individual thing based on the scenarios that's put into it via prescriptions. And that, that's made such a big difference in, in the overall um, oh, I want to think it up here. The overall uh, bushels per acre increase that you get. I read an article today on AgWeb that said uh, variable rate planting is is proving to be a twenty percent increase in bushels. Now, I don't know where they got that from, but um, I, it, it's stuff like that that's going to make people more profitable, or, or it's going to um, make things get done faster. And just like you said, you know, you got a short, finite window, and you got to go when you got to go. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and as, as people start kind of getting new systems and getting away from just conventional tillage, you get to tillage and no-till and stuff like that, and, yeah, it's more important to do a better job than just get her done real fast. And, yeah, like, like you said with variable rate water, you you got to farm every acre a lot differently, and yeah. it's pretty expensive when you're just uh, throwing a static rate down any. You know, you got three or four layers of variable rate that add up pretty big time, not only in yield but your input costs. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's getting to be a bigger, bigger deal, man. And I'm 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 in your camp, man. You've got to figure out what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it, and then how you're going to make that sustainable to where you can be successful in in down economies like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're you know, I heard a few people call me progressive, and I'm. I think I'm a little backwards. I'm just not. I'm not in the rush to get real big. And you know, some young farmers want to farm five or ten thousand acres. I, I would really like to farm less and just kind of own it all and just use uh, manure on every acre and kind of get a few more things going on. It just it's adds a lot of stress when you just make that balance sheet a little fatter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I like free stuff. <laughs> Don't we all, right? <laughs> yeah. That free stuff's nice. That's that's good stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So I, I go to the farm show to see what, what the hell might, we might get in 10 years more than anything. Right. Yeah, there's there's always that concept of something out there. Um no matter where where it's at, every they've got a new concept of some sort that they're they're throwing out there. Yeah. Yep. So, um, well, man, I think we covered it. Man, anything else that you can think of that you want to throw out there? You want to talk some more about your about your venture you got going on, or you, you pretty well cover that? Well, I think I pretty much covered it. I I went to uh, Purdue Polytech. There's a there's Purdue University there in West Lafayette. It's a good farm thing. They got a this new building in Anderson that's not very far and going to have the, uh, uh, the classroom design, a manure strip till rig. We didn't really cover that very much, but 
to design a, a better one pass high speed manure seeder for the wheat deal. So right, well, let's talk about pretty that. excited about that today. What's that? Let's talk about that, man. That's that's something I've never even heard hear about. Okay. And we're just gonna use uh just raw steel. So I was really wanting to kind of work with people and source different products and kind of glue it together. But if I can design it and kind of make it from from scratch and get a patent on it, then that's even better yet. So pretty good pretty cool day seeing uh all the machines they got and everything that they're capable of. So you're you're going to go you're going to go in and you're going to so how, tell, explain to me how that works. So you're going to go in and make like a like a strip till rig that uses manure instead of anhydrous or, or liquid fertilizer or something like that. Yeah. So my big thing on our farm is uh, we've had these pigs for 21 years and our fertility is just through the rough. So I'm trying to basically band our fertility and manipulate plants and catch sun in different angles and prune it and all that kind of stuff. So. Well, I basically did with our wheat last year was uh, seeded with the actual manure tank itself, and I just used a Diedrich bar. It's got a concave disc. I just made it wider and changed the angle a little bit and shallowed it up and pulled it about 12 miles an hour, and it just made kind of a rooster tail of soil and followed it with a cultimulture uh, after a few hours and kind of dimpled the wheat in. So I'm planting wheat directly above a stream of pig shit. And uh, what happens is the wheat just basically multiplies, and because it's in wide rows, they, all the multiplication puts heads. I plant beans in between there, and the beans have all this fertility, but they don't grow real tall. It's kind of a cool process. So these, these kids are going to basically design, I'm going to draw up kind of what I want them to work on, and we're going to try to improve the process of kind of a birdshot seeding. And I think this is going to be really cool, not only in this manure strip-till concept, but in organic farming, too. And uh, basically, you can't use the same equipment when you're dealing with pig shit because you just make mud and you fill up your double-disc openers and it just turns into a, basically a shit show. <laughs> Um, so you kind of got to drop it in and, and use dryer dirt to the side of it and uh, kind of fill that back in. And then you can kind of press it down with like a rolling basket or, or a, a cultipacker that has a scraper on there or something like that. Uh, but the concept here is instead of planting a twin row or a single row, I want to develop something that will plant a wide solid row like with a strip tail. So imagine a birdshot pattern that's about 14 inches wide, and then you actually plant with a planter on the outside of the injection or the outside of a strip till machine to make a better stand just outside of that solid. So it's kind of a solid and filled. And what you can do with that is with RTK, you can just cheat over, say, two or three inches and really stitch shut and expedite or speed up uh, canopy closure a lot quicker. So imagine you have like a Don Pluribus and you got a 12 inch solid seed of soybeans and you got a 14 inch twin of solid and you come back and you're planting wheat and beans right next to each other and out front you've got some kind of uh, you know some way to, to 
completely keep it uh, clean as far as using tillage uh, in between the wheat. And I think you could establish canopy quick enough to uh, really get away from herbicide. So that's kind of the the derivative that I'm excited about the design is if we can kind of develop a better way of seeding rather than just drop it out of a tube, uh, whether it's something like a, like uh, they're using these smart firmers where maybe you're just kind of shitting out seed like a pet dispenser and getting some kind of depth control that way or, or something. But it's going to be cool with all these kids. They have all these cool machines and we can test stuff out and I'll be like uh go, go gadget. So I'm excited. <laughs> that, that, well, Does that, that make any sense? Absolutely. made perfect sense because, <laughs> What you're talking about there, you you you're you're already utilizing what you have on your farm, right? But you're yeah. So I'm like here. I just I just went through here on the internet and I found a deal where you're talking about, you know, three crops in two years, um, you know, and how you know you think that's possible, and that's exactly how you can do that. You're gonna have a wheat crop. It's gonna come up. You cut it off, and then when you cut it down, your soybeans are coming up right behind it, and then that's two, and then you got one more coming. You know, so I mean it's. And, but the good thing about that is too that I like is you're taking advantage of the field and you're, you're cutting down your input costs because like you said you should be able to, to develop a canopy fast enough that you shouldn't need a lot of herbicides because you're gonna you know block yeah. out the sunlight for the stuff underneath so again going back to what we talked about earlier your input costs are going to go down you know so it's you know you're still producing the same amount but you're but you're doing it cheaper you know yeah, I can produce a wheat crop cheaper than I can call the dragline guy and have a custom applied if I do it myself. And, and my seeding rate on my wheat is so low. We're talking eight dollars an acre. So I got eight dollars an acre, the diesel, and the shit's free. And right. you know, if you can, I think I can. We've we've had like the perfect year. I mean, we've had rain like every two days since July. Right. I think I've got 110 bushel beans out in my plot. Wow. And uh, I think I can actually raise better soybeans relay than non-relay just from the water management. And there's this really cool thing, and I think this is going to be the future. And you look in these uh, row houses. So people, you know, with this Roundup deal and this lawsuit, it's going to be this hot topic. It's going to give this organic deal kind of a resurgence resurgence but all these people are growing you know lettuce or whatever in these cities and these old uh barns or whatever and basically you can just you can raise a shit ton of things because you just grow everything vertically let's say the ceiling's 50 feet you've got lettuces 50 feet tall and i think that's how we're going to increase production is this idea of, of growing things more days out of the year and with beans, this cool thing happens when you go in there and take the wheat out of out of it. Uh, you got to canopy about five weeks earlier, so your herbicide you put a lower rate on earlier. And then when you get that wheat out of the way, you can actually introduce light lower in the soybean plant. And I'm getting at least two times the production between the fourth and 15th node in the soybean, I'm getting about five to seven more nodes on the soybean and they're not growing as tall. 
which is really important with pig shit. So if a guy, you know, I think we could start, if we figure out how to do this kind of trick play on beans, you could start fertilizing your beans like you do your corn where you're at nitrogen late, knowing that they're not going to lay over. And the irrigation guy might be able to increase his yields 20 or 30 bushels. So, I mean, it's still kind of a new concept, but I'm pretty excited on what we're seeing this year. That's amazing, dude. That's that's out, that's just so outside the box. You know what I mean? That 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 idea concept of less is more. You know, and, and and how that all comes together to make that whole thing work right. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of fickle when you start pushing yields and seeing how things because everything will will turn into a train wreck in some way. It's 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 impossible for Mother Nature to really. Uh, cooperate with you if you don't have irrigation, you know. Right. You know, I can plant my corn really thick, but if it don't rain for two weeks, it's going to just go down on me. It's going to be a train wreck. Beans will lay down, they'll grow tall, and you got to try to figure out ways to kind of loopholes, and uh, I think this might be kind of a loophole how uh, we might be able to get the next kind of dimension. And, you know, uh, it's different. Like I said, we got 35, 40 inches of rain. It's it's a it's a big way to manage our water. If I'm going to get irrigation and I don't pattern tile our field, then probably six years out of 10, I'm going to ding my yields big time before I ever have a chance to water because we'll get a couple big rain events and I'll have, you know, yellow crops. So right. big way to kind of manage that. So I think things are going to kind of get in this kind of road uh, cereal cover crop deal. And we're going to be kind of farming horizontally and vertically and that kind of stuff. Hmm. So if, if, if you do kind of prove that it's a competitive advantage and the equipment's going to kind of follow and they're going to kind of go with each other. Yeah. That is, uh, you've made me think about stuff here in the last 40 minutes that I would have never thought of, man. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's some, that's, I mean, that's like you said, I mean, I, you don't know where it's going to go. We, we can only it's guess. just like the Dorito bag, you know. You, you open it up, and the first two seconds, it kind of, it kind of gives you a whiff. The same way manure works. You got to, you got to come up <laughs> way actually capturing that first initial fart. You're right. Yep. <laughs> if yep. you just throw it out there on bare field, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that makes tons of sense, man. So. But anyway, well, yeah. I mean, I think we've. Uh, killed this one here man and i i think that this is some very impressive and very uh interesting food for thought here and uh man if jason guys want to reach out to you or or uh find you out on the internet what's your uh what's your twitter handle uh jason mock one it's uh m-a-u-c-k one gotcha okay and check it out man his, his videos are out there he's got a ton of them to watch there's more out there than you have time to probably sit down and watch in, in one setting. So I would encourage everybody to go out there and check it out. He's got, he's, uh, he's right down my alley with, with the idea of what, what the future is going to look like. And I, I thoroughly enjoy talking about that. And Jason, I thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the moving iron podcast. I'd like to thank Jason for being a guest in this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at moving iron LLC. You can also send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron YouTube channel. 
Here you can find After the Bell, Chip Nellinger, and Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit at movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there'll be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcasting platform. You can find this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.